0: Welcome in, everybody, to another edition. You know what? This is a very, very special edition of the Return of the Roar podcast. Uh, we appreciate you all for listening. Uh, we have been waiting for this episode pretty much all off season. Uh, Frankie, of course, sitting across digitally from me. Uh, but also with us this week, uh, Kings Insider James Hamm of NBC Sports. Uh, James, do you miss the Kings Apple Cider more? Or the games. Um, I'm
1: gonna say I miss the apple cider more. That's <laughs> hey, right you know, answer. it was such an anomaly, right? It's like we found these these packets of of dry <laughs> apple cider sitting on the counter that our amazing host who who handled handled all of our food, and I think like most people would just like, cat. That's who it was. Cat is our amazing host. Um, we we're like. Hey, look, it's powdered apple cider. I wonder if that's any good. And then the first time you have it, you're like, "This is the best thing I've ever had." And that for some nice. reason, it be it became a thing, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I, yeah. I, James I, put I, us on. He the halftime apple cider was always a necessary adjustment at halftime. It hit every single game for me. Uh, I don't think Frank ever actually tried it. But I'll, it's like I'll it's try it liquid next season. Gold.
2: I'll try it That's- next season. I, I I kept. I didn't go against what you guys were telling me, but I just I'm hesitant with ciders. But I maybe I'll maybe I'll become a cider guy this season. Maybe at the California Classic next week they'll have it out for us. I don't know. I'll give it a shot. But oh, man. J- James James move. Move. it was rookie a rookie move. move. Rookie oh, move. That's right. <laughs> James it just every time man you got to try it. I'm like all right I'll I'll try it today and I just would get a water like a boring guy so next
0: time The cool
1: thing is you know the cool thing is we had two things this year so people who don't know i mean it was literally like there was like 50 of us in the building watching Th- that's the game. being
0: very generous
1: yeah i mean when well, you probably in include total, yeah yeah all of the camera guys and all the audio guys and the radio personnel but like we only had one eleven forty 1140 person outside of the the radio show we had you know tony harvey from the observer we had uh, Jason Jones from the Athletic. We have Sean Cunningham and Lena Washington from News 10. Every once in a while, Channel 40 or every once in a while, Channel uh, 3 people showed up, and then Marshall uh, that has moved on. Uh, I think he moved to Chicago. Uh, Marshall from News uh, Channel 13, right? So there's that group, and then we have some camera guys. We have our NBC Sports guys. So there's like a super small group of us. But the two things that we we pushed. This year, were number one the apple cider, which was spectacular, and then number two, we all got vaccinated, and so I think that was a cool thing. We had like this inner circle where, when vaccines became available, first of all, uh, media is considered essential, so you know because we're on the public, so we we pushed all of these guys with their media badges. Like, let's get vaccinated as soon as possible. Because some of these guys are older, you know, some scorekeepers are in their late 60s, early 70s. Some of the the audio and and video guys are, you know, in their, their late 50s and early 60s. And anyway, I thought that was cool. Like, as a group, we had, like, I was sending texts like, hey, this many shots just opened up at Mather Air Force Base. Like, go get your appointment. And guys were getting their appointments and bringing their media badges. So, again, apple cider and we all got vaccinated, which became very important late in the season when they allowed, like, what was it, 1,600 or 1,400 fans in the building. Yeah. But also we were surrounded by people and you had no idea, you know, whether someone was bringing something in the building. You hoped they weren't. But, you know, like, it, it, it's so weird. You you guys got to be part of like a very weird experience uh, this season that yeah I, I just don't know that we'll see again and that's Chris yeah. you know part part well that was part of Chris the end of your like
2: your, you know you started the year before last year and that was my first taste of covering games and it just was very different and and unlike anything I think anyone had had been through at that point I mean James yourself included I mean that was just such a foreign thing that everyone experienced and yeah like you said the apple cider of course, but also the, the the fact that everybody was vaccinated, everybody was safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to enjoy lunches together and, and, yeah. and tell stories. It was a great experience for everyone that, that could be there and, uh, and nobody got hurt. Um, so that's something that'll be memorable. And also I'd like to throw some love to the chocolate chip cookies because oh, the yeah. chocolate chip cookies at golden one center, if anyone's out there and you know what I'm talking about,
1: you know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah it's a uh, sea salt. The sea salt yeah. is, is incredible. For yeah. Sure. They, They've, uh, they've had great cookies for years. I know Kevin Arnavitz, my friend from ESPN, he used to, he raves, he'll tell anyone in the league, like, Sacramento has the best cookies. Like, and he comes here for visits every once in a while. And I think he only comes up (laughs) just for the cookies um and then to write destructive articles about the kings yeah
2: he's enjoying his enjoying his cookie while he writes those destructive articles yeah he's
1: he's my guy but uh yeah it's like the cookies and ah look what happened Uh, (laughs) um yeah so he he's a guy who knows how to get uh really interesting stories on the backside of you know the inner workings and stuff and i you know he's always been a great writer but uh yeah, he. I think he only comes for the cookies. And, like, look, the, the Kings hosted us. They did a really good job of, mm-hmm. like, making sure we were taking care of all game. And they made adjustments during the season. And, um, I you know, it was a re- really weird situation for everybody involved. But at the end of the day, you know, I think we all became a lot closer because of it um, as a group. And, you know, like, there were people going through stuff. Like, like a lot of people lost people. You know, we had even non-COVID stuff. We had all kinds of people that are like, it was stressful. And I'm a guy who usually, I I put about like 28,000 miles a year on my car, just going to Kings uh, stuff. So between, um, because people who don't know, I live like an hour away from the stadium. Um, So between practices and shoot-arounds and game coverage and summer league and, you know, training camp and all that stuff. Like, I I put so many miles. Well, that just all went away. I mean, I drove down, like, what was it, 30, how many games? 36 times Man. this season, and that's it. There was no other reason to drive down. We did everything via Zoom. Everything was really strange, uh, you know, like the hot mic situation. Like, someone, uh, we're yelling at somebody, hey, your mic is on from across the stadium. <laughs> like... So, so they don't say something silly like what happened with the Josh Giddey interview, um, like a couple of days ago. I was on that interview, and (laughs) and it's funny. Like Anderson, Jason Anderson had tweeted out, like I, I looked and I'm like, oh man, like there's 20 people with their mics open. Like the NBA, that was an NBA fault, right? So, like Mm -hmm. when we all get on calls, typically, all of us are muted unless someone accidentally unmutes themselves. We're all on, uh, we're all on mute when you go into those things. So you can sit there and have a conversation or whatever. And like, when we opened up those Zoom calls for prospect workouts, everyone's mic was wide open. And so the person said, hey, you know, mute your mics, but I I don't think a lot of people paid attention. So I had texted Jason Anderson right before and said, hey man, your mic is hot. And he's like, oh, thanks. And so he muted his mic. Well, I don't have everyone's phone number, so I didn't text everybody. And I even in one of the chats put it, hey, your mics are hot and then the Josh Giddy thing happens where <laughs> literally right in the middle of an answer a, a reporter and it's so bad too because I feel so bad for the guy. He's got his one-year-old running around and he goes, "Did you poop?" And Giddy <laughs> stops like he's looking like what just and then he went right back into his answer and like he he composed himself so well. I thought it was amazing. But the problem is when you're on Zoom, if you're on Zoom enough, people as soon as you say something, your name comes up on the screen. So it wasn't some anonymous situation. The guy asked his one-year-old, did you poop? And the whole thing pops up. <laughs> his Like his name pops across the screen. We're like, oh, man. Sorry, bro. You're the did you poop guy now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It, we all don't forget. To, yeah, we have to adapt, right? That's what all of this is about. It's about adapting and figuring out ways to uh, – to survive in the pandemic and still do your job and still, you know, function, I guess. But like everything was weird this year. Right? But again, I, I, I think my point was, we're all a lot closer because of it. Mm-hmm. I think that, and that's a good thing.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I definitely don't think, I mean, even specifically the relationship with you, I mean, we, we were able to sit right next to you all season and, I mean, normally you would be seated in the uh, in your NBC Sports little studio they have set up, correct? And so, I mean, yeah. Without without the the circumstances of this season, this this podcast right now isn't happening. So <laughs> so as crazy as it is, I, I'm at least um, you know to take some positives out of what a crazy year it's been. I'm I'm glad that we were able to form this because I'm. I think, uh, James is, has been a huge, you've been a huge staple for, for Sacramento media. Um, and you know, it's just, it's an honor to have you on, man. So thank you so much.
1: Well, you guys shouldn't I like I, I never mind going on pods and stuff, especially if it's respectful. Like one time I went on a podcast in Toronto and the guy was just so rude that I eventually just like hung up. on like, yeah, right in the middle of a podcast, I'm like, well, this is weird. Why would you even have me on? And then, like, you can disrespect the, the Kings. Like, that. that's all – that's fine. But we were discussing – I think we were discussing the Rudy Gay trade or something, and he just thought it was so outlandish that I thought it was a good trade. And and then he got rude, and I'm like, oh, this is weird. So I, I like, I left. But that's, like, the only time that I think I've ever done something like that. Normally, I, I try to be accessible because, like – in this business like if someone doesn't pull you under your wing under their wing then you're going to get in trouble like you're going to do something stupid and that you don't mean to do i know when my first year i wrote something um where i like i refuted something that a couple of reporters had reported and but i did it in a way where like it was unacceptable and and i didn't know and i had sam amick like pull me aside and said hey just be cautious about being like the media police. And it was like, Oh, well that makes sense. But if you don't know, you don't know. And so like, I think there are a lot of moments during a season where you want to say something or you think that, you know, you just need to have someone to bounce some stuff off of here and there. And so I don't mind being that because, you know, other guys have looked out for me and I think that that's cool. And I, I like sitting by you guys, you guys are young, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, so it keeps you young, you know, you know, we we weren't able. I mean, we had face masks on the entire time, except for when we ate. We slow rolled popcorn and ate one piece at a <laughs> yeah. time, right? Uh, Snuck but those that's, in. yeah, outside of that, we had to have our face masks on the entire time. And it, it's just like the experience. We're all here to watch basketball, to enjoy what we're doing, but also to experience something. And and so I I hope you guys had a good experience with me hanging out. And you're right. I normally do sit on the set. Um, And that's just because my night kind of goes really squirrely early on. And then like the camera guys and all of our marketing team and all that stuff. um, There's something that like in, when you do TV stuff, they call you the talent. And to me, that's like, it's, it's so offensive. Um, Not to me, it's offensive to the people that I work with because they're all extremely talented. And so while like I, I feel like sometimes I'm an out outlier on the, the media side because I don't go sit with media all the time, I sit with all of the people that do all of the work on our set and I hang out with them because I think it's disrespectful not to. And so that's why I sit over on the set. It's a really good view. I have my own table that I brought from home that I pop up. Um, you know, Jim Cosmore comes over here and there, whoever's coming up, Jerry Reynolds, whatever. Like, we all sit together. Sometimes they aren't there, sometimes they are, but I'm writing the whole time. And it's more of, like, what you guys got for me, where I'm just sitting there kind of hanging out, right? I've done this so long, I can write a game story in, like, 20 minutes uh, between the third and fourth quarters, and then you're just waiting for the final numbers and stuff. So, like, there's a flow to it. And then, like, I, I like being part of like an atmosphere. It's just, you know, it's who wants to go sit at a bar by themselves and watch a game. No one. Um, So I like to, I like to have friends around me.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting you say that because that's, that's definitely what it felt like throughout the years. Just like we were sitting at a bar. It just so happened to be, you know, with a game right, right in front of us. And it was an awesome experience, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we had it. And, you know, no one wants to hear me. Be all yucky about how much I had. We had a great time with James Ham, but uh, it was, <laughs> for for all those who are wondering if James Ham is legitimately an awesome guy, he is every single drop of it. Um. Well, uh, Frank, do you have anything? Do you want to praise James for anything? Do you like his hair? <laughs> no, um, I like his I outfit t- I told That's
2: them. It, to, to end the James love no I when we when I sat next to him you know and I, I had we've I told him I've been reading his work and i would watched him and uh, I remember when I was going to school in Chico like in 2013 I, I saw him on TV back then and, and I was like okay like I saw him in person that day and I'm like you look exactly the same like how like how old are you and in my head I thought you know not to I'm like you have to say how old you are James but I thought like, I'm 27 and I thought maybe he was like a couple years older than me like maybe 31 and and James isn't ancient by any means at all, but he's, he's older than, than 37, than twenty seven thirty, 30 one. But I told him that you age very you age well, man, like, wow. let me get the, let me get the skincare routine. So yeah,
1: I'll say this, um, two things. Number one, I, <laughs> I've been married for 22 years and I just had my oldest just graduated from high school and was about to start college. Um, so I am older than I look. It's, it, whatever it is, I, you know, I, I don't even really, well, I mean, I do take care of myself cause I have such pasty skin that I have to wear sunscreen everywhere and stuff. Um, uh, I, I don't, it is, I'm just lucky that for some reason I don't age like a normal person. Um, uh, eventually I will. And then it'll all happen overnight and everyone will be like, man, <laughs> he's old. Um, but yeah, I, I am considerably older than both of you guys. Um, but then the other thing I'll say about you, Frankie, um, like, what do they say? Like, uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like, I, when you do this job and you're tweeting, you're live tweeting games and stuff, and you're writing stuff, you really are doing it out into space, right? Like, I have no idea. I mean, I have, I can look at metrics and see who's, how many people are reading my my articles or how many people do this or that. Or, um, but you really have no idea. Um, but what I found early in the season It was jarring to me realistically because, you know, when we first meet, like I start following you guys on Twitter, not to be disrespectful that I didn't follow you before. (laughs) It's just, I didn't know you guys. So, and when you follow someone on Twitter, now I see all of your tweets, but you also have the ability to DM me and stuff like that. So I don't do that a lot. Just like I don't allow people to be friends with me on my personal Facebook page. Um, People get pissed about that. I think that I just leave them in my queue. But I don't let King's fans be uh, friends on my personal Facebook page. I have a work one. Back to Frankie specifically. Once I started following you, I I had no idea that there were people who tweeted exactly like me. And so, like, but again, I, it's one of those things where you have sat there, and I, I'll say this too. I do, uh, like, when I think of basketball, a lot of times when I think of watching a Kings game, I think about it with people's voices in my head. So like when I was young, I would listen to Gary Gerald call a game on the radio, and there was nothing more descriptive than someone saying, uh, the Kings are moving from left to right on your dial. So the old dial on your radio uh, from left to right, you could actually tell which way the Kings were going up and down the court. And then Grant Napier's calls for so many years, I listened to – and so you pick up some of their mannerisms when you're writing, some of the things that you you think about the game when you're writing it in that way. And so it's weird for me that I've tweeted so many times and someone has followed me so many t- times that your tweets and my tweets almost are identical all game long. And to me, it, it, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's jarring. And then I was like, oh, it's okay. Like, it, Like, I get it. Like, you think your brain is thinking of the game the same way that my brain is thinking of the game. And part of it is because you've watched games and watched me tweet and watched me do stuff. And so, again, it was like, I, at a certain point, it was like, oh, okay. Like, again, I, it's not, I'm not calling you out. I just, no, I was no, just, it was entertaining to me.
2: It was. It's, I, I learned, it's, it's about learning, you know, I mean, the, the way that I've got, not that I've, you know, I'm, I'm slowly, slowly crawling up to being, you know, uh, a member of the media. Like, I, I, Chris and I have gotten to do over the past year is by learning, and the way I learned was, like you said, I followed people on Twitter. As far as, I mean, you are my go-to guy for the Kings, and and then I had people for the Yankees because I'm a Yankee guy. They suck right now, mm-hmm. but we don't talk about that. uh But no, I mean, and, and you set such a good example over the years, and and on your Twitter presence, your writing presence, and your television presence. That I mean, a guy like me who all I ever wanted to do was was have a job where I get to watch the Kings and write about the Kings and talk about them like we are today. And, um, it's, it's been something I've had to look to guys like you for and, and, and the Sean Cunninghams and Jason Jones and, and everybody else that's kind of paved the way for, for us younger guys. And, and, um, yeah, so sometimes it does come off. I come off a little, little hammy, a little James (laughs) hammy. There you go. Uh, but, uh, you know, over time I'll hopefully forge my own voice and I've I've tried to do that a little bit. And um, <laughs> when, when, when the games are a little more uh, enjoyable and fans aren't so angry and go after the media members because they want to have a place to, to vent, uh, you know, things will be a little easier to, to find that voice when things are, are happy, but no, James, definitely, man, it, it's, it was kind of funny watching when things would happen during a game. We both would kind of tweet, something at the same time almost word for word
1: word for word, uh, maybe one word different but most of the time word mm-hmm. for word like oh yeah we just did that again yeah
2: and James look over at me and be like we just did the same thing I did I'm like I didn't see
1: yours yet <laughs> like I didn't see it but well a lot of time you were before me you mm-hmm. were faster than me because yeah. you guys grew up you know texting so fast <laughs> like it's part of your lifestyle like I didn't like when I grew up we didn't have cell phones uh, we did but they were in suitcases. Uh, and, and only, like, eight people had them, and it was, like, $12 a minute to make a call. So, like, you know, maybe we had pagers and stuff like that, but but either way, you, you are very quick at it, and it, it was just, for me, it was it was funny to watch. It was like, hey, look at that. He just tweeted the exact same thing, and, and a lot of times I would, like, you tweet, and I would see it pop up, and I'm like, all right, back, 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 and I would change my tweet because <laughs> I'm like, you already said Likewise. it. <laughs> likewise yeah likewise yeah. that's funny anyway let's talk basketball right yeah it, it, yeah it's hanging out. it is. It, like it, like when you go away from the season it, it really does feel like school where like you had your yep. friends all year long and then you leave and then you know you come back at like three months later and it's like hey look you you grew four inches like it's kind of like a, <laughs> i wish know? so <laughs> uh so it it is cool to catch up and kind of get back into the flow of things with people uh that you know for what was it four or five months we spent a lot of nights a lot of nights together a lot of times a lot of you know sitting down having dinners uh, a lot of just sitting there talking during games and stuff like that
2: yeah and for those of you out there we we haven't talked to or seen james since the the regular season finale so this is our like you said we're we're meeting up uh we're really summing you know, like,
0: it up here. Like if you're yeah. playing like a
2: summer sport, yeah, you're meeting up for your, your summer practices right now and you're just kind of going over everything, you know, what you're doing, what vacations you went on, what happened. But uh we're gonna talk about the uh the draft, right, Chris? Yeah. So without yep, further ado. Right.
0: Yeah, the, the the new league year is almost starting. It's uh it's right around the corner. Uh the draft, we're two days away. Uh it is this Thursday, the twenty-ninth uh rumors have been swirling left and right over the weekend um i don't i I mean we'll we'll start with everyone who has sources i was reading in an athletic article the other day their mock draft um they're saying their sources are saying that the kings will heavily shop number nine as well as number 39 uh james you're you're a pretty plugged in guy uh what give me like a percent chance you think the king's actually end up retaining um, the pick on – come Thursday.
1: Yeah, I was talking to Carmichael Dave this morning, and I was like, hey, I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. 50-50, but I think in a perfect world, they trade this pick. Um, And and for that matter, in a perfect world, they they probably trade uh, number 39 as well. And with number 39 specifically, you would basically – Trade that pick either for a, a veteran player that can help you. The Kings have a two million dollar trade exception and a three, uh, I think it's three point six million dollar trade exception from the Bielitsa and um, and Corey Joseph trades. Um, but so so they could package that with the thirty nine to get a player. Or what they could do is just move back into the two thousand twenty two draft like they've done a couple of times, or just move way back into this year's second round pick up another second round in the in the coming years um but draft a player who's more of a two-way contract or a uh a player that you might leave overseas type deal right so so that picks specifically and the reason why it is very is very specific it's that you have chemias ramsey and you have robert woodard who the kings actually signed to longer contracts than normal for second-round picks. I think Woodard got full three full years. jemiah has got two years with the third-year option. And those guys didn't have a normal offseason. They didn't have the Cal Classic, which is coming up next week, which is going to be awesome. Um, and everyone should go get their tickets, just so you know, because uh, there are still t- some tickets available. and it's such a fun event, especially if you have kids. Um, but those guys didn't get that opportunity to have Summer League, to have, um, to have a month and a half, two months, working with the professional training staff, The coaching staff teaching you the playbook and all that stuff so those guys didn't play hardly at all last year and even when woodard would have got a chance then he pulled his hamstring i think it was right at the end of the g league bubble um so the kings already have two young players that are second round picks that are going to be scrambling trying to make the roster you also have justin james and i don't i i doubt he will be on the roster um after this week but but we'll see um anyway to get to the number nine pick though specifically that in itself like the kings can't just keep being bad year after year and and if they are then people will lose their jobs that's the way it goes right this is a results business if you do not produce results then you're out so that number nine while there is a lot of value there and there are a lot of players i like at number nine it is a wide open field. And I think from really from number seven or eight, all the way to like number 18 is wide open. You're gonna have some team that falls in love with Alperin, Singuin, and and then you'll have some team that falls in love with Josh Giddey, or uh, Franz Wagner, and they wanna move up. So there's gonna be opportunity there to add assets. And the assets I'm talking about are veterans that can actually help you win games now. Um, so even 23 year old, 24 year old veterans, there's a big difference between Robert Woodard who had never played a game and Shemezi Metu, who, while he hasn't played a ton, you could instantly see that number one, his body's matured. He's, but he also understands the game better. Like even the the couple of years of experience that he has playing in the G league, playing for the Spurs, going through training camps and all that stuff, there's just a huge difference in the maturation of a player. And so I think 50-50 is probably – it takes two to tango. That's the only reason that that pick has, isn't already gone. It's that you have to have a trade partner and you have to get value. And so I think if the Kings get uh, have the right trade partner and get the right value, then that pick is gone, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. If a deal were to happen, do you think it would – uh, more than likely happen on Thursday draft day in the moment, or is it is it more likely to happen uh, in in the lead up?
1: Yeah, I mean.
0: At this point, like, especially.
1: Yeah, we're on like the 72-hour window, right? So mm-hmm. like anything can happen at any time, which is what we learned, you mm-hmm. know, when the, when the big deal for uh, Valentunis and Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe happened the other day. Um, you know, the, these deals, they pop up out of nowhere and they happen, or they don't. You know, you we could talk about the Kings potentially getting Ben Simmons, and, like, I think I've written, like, eight articles about it, <laughs> um, breaking down different avenues and why it would work, why it wouldn't. It's great. Um, yeah, yeah, but there's always a reason why to rewrite something because something else happens, right? Um, we have, like, a larger idea of what the 76ers are looking for, and, you know, basically 76ers have a... A house that they believe is worth 35 million dollars and and no one wants to pay 35 million dollars for it um and so you don't have a 35 million dollar house you have more like a 22 million dollar house you just keep trying to pitch it for 34 million dollars um so that that's going to be an issue that they're gonna have to figure out um it's only worth a player is only worth what you can trade them for um and as of this time you know you're not gonna be able to move them. so so anyway yeah i think there's the likelihood of them moving the pick is good, but also it usually happens at the last minute. That's just the NBA. I don't know why they do it this way. If you have a deal that makes sense for you in December, why not make the deal in December and have an extra 25 games to have a guy get acclimated to your system, your system and what you're doing. And so you have them for the stretch run, not as some guy coming in and not knowing anything, but as a guy who's, you know, already been there for 25 games. I, I I never get that, but you know, it's leverage and stuff like that. The teams try to hold over each other and eventually deals happen. Um, And so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I I think if the Kings make a deal, chances are, it's going to be late. It'll be, you know, maybe not while they're on the clock, but you know, early Thursday, we start hearing rumblings of stuff happening.
2: So in a potential trade, I know there's so many talks going right now too with the buddy and Kuzma stuff. We'll get to that a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. if they do move the nine pick, Could you see it being a pick for pick situation or do you think it'd be more likely that they package that with a player such as Marvin Bagley, Buddy Heald to kind of make it easier for teams to take on that type
1: of a player? Well, I think you're looking at uh, like I don't think that they need to attach their number nine pick to Buddy Heald to get to trade Buddy Heald that or Marvin Bagley, either one like that. That's not what we're talking about, Um, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't be part of the package. To make salaries balance, to you know, the number uh, nine would be a sweetener, or the number nine this year, the number nine in 2023, the number nine in 2025 to go get yourself a substantial upgrade. Um, that's what we're talking about, right? So, like, if the Kings were to take on like an average veteran player that helps fill a rotational spot, then you're looking at, you know, number nine for number 17 and a swap of some players a player that makes more sense for you uh short term and the other team is looking to move up type deal i don't think the kings are gonna trade the pick just to trade the pick like there is a ton of value at number nine um it actually might be one of the more pivotal 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 spots in the draft uh just because we kind of know who the top six are maybe the top seven and then eight, nine, there's going to be some craziness. And then ten, you know, we already saw a team move up to ten to go get that. Uh, Memphis moved up to ten, um, so clearly they have their eyes set on somebody. So like, look, I, I think there's going to be a lot of messing around with with all of these picks. And again, like Memphis is a good team to look at. Like, they they got to number ten, but could they want the same team, the same players that the Kings want? Could there be a team at number thirteen? that wants to jump above Memphis and get to number nine to pick the player that they think Memphis is going to take. And so now we have some gamesmanship, and it's like, would you take someone like Brandon Clark, uh, take number nine and and uh, trade it for Brandon Clark at number 10, and just move back one spot but pick up a, a guy that can, that can play minutes in your rotation, give you some athleticism, some defensive presence? Those are the types of things that, like the little deals that could happen just – just to add capital to, you know, talent base. Um, but then we could also see something monstrous uh, where the, and the Kings like, look, they want to swing for the fences. They want to add a huge piece to this team and they're going to do everything they can to turn over every stone. It's why we hear them uh, with Damian Lillard or we hear them with Ben Simmons. It, it That's what they're looking to do. They're looking to swing for the fences. They, you know, hitting like a solid, double or triple with uh, with Tyrese Halliburton last year. That's great. But with this team doesn't have enough talent, you need an extra base hit. You can't take a walk. You can't get a bond single at this point. A sacrifice fly doesn't work here. You have to find like a much higher grade of talent. And the easiest way to do that right now is probably packaging the number nine with other players to go get a better player.
0: So I've, And just about every mock draft you see or, you know, what the way uh, people have been talking, it seems uh, that the consensus for the Kings would be either Franz Wagner, Moses Moody, Alperin Sengun. First off, are you kind of feeling the same thing where it's going to be more than likely if the Kings do make um, their pick, it's going to be one of those three. Or secondly, do you see anybody else or hear anybody else who, who might be slipping their way into that kind of conversation?
1: Yeah. I mean, if I'm the Kings uh, I'm considering like, I think Moody fits everything that we've seen from uh, Monty McNair, right? Like high basketball IQ player, uh, good defensive acumen, uh, super long, what's he, 6'6", six, six with a seven, one wingspan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a guy that can shoot the three ball. And especially, the good thing about him is he's played off the ball quite a bit, but he was also the focal point as a freshman. Um, if you If he's no longer a focal point, if he's a third option, fourth option in an offense, he's going to get much cleaner looks than what he got at Arkansas. And so I expect all of his shooting percentages to jump up, I think, what you shoot like thirty six percent from three? I expect him to be more like a thirty eight to forty percent three point shooter at the next level. So what you're looking at is a three and D guy. He makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, when I look at uh, Franz Wagner, uh, to be honest with you, I, like we interviewed him yesterday, I was pretty impressed with his interview. I think he's only worked out for one team, which is totally bizarre. He has not worked out for the Kings. The only team he worked out for was New Orleans, who just moved out of the number ten spot um so i really think it's it's intriguing to see where he could possibly go now he's done like he's met with teams i assume uh but he also just worked out with Harrison Barnes for weeks in la so we have that connection so i like i like wagner but he also said hey i'm i'm almost 6'11 um you know and, and so that lends me to think okay he's not super athletic he does have some decent length um I think he's a plus three like height to wingspan guy so if he's almost six eleven then he might almost have like a seven foot two wingspan that's not bad um and he's got a high i q high defensive acumen um and for me like he makes some sense he did not shoot the ball very well at all he's not very creative with his shot um he is a better passer than moody so so like he's a guy that like makes some sense, but to me, I also will say this: I think he projects as a stretch four, not as as an NBA wing long term. Mm-hmm. Like you can say right now he's an NBA three, but two years from now, three years from now, when he starts to fill out and become a grown man, like mm-hmm. I just I don't see it. I think he's more of a stretch four. So yes, I, and then Sengun, I, I don't really see that. I, like I'm confused by him. Um, yeah, he tore up the Turkish league. And you have to like give him props for that, but i just i don't know how that translates at all at all i mean he's a he says he's six ten but you know that that could mean he's six eight and a half with without shoes um he says he has a six eleven wingspan that's not a good wingspan to height ratio um he's not a super athlete and he can dunk and spate at like if he's on a break, but he can't like. Put a move on you and hammer it down um so I, i'm concerned about how he makes it how he transitions to the nba um uh, and someone said oh he's the next Hedo." and i'm like i i don't see he he do it at all uh Turklu at, like not at all like what, what i see is if you're going to compare him to turkish guys memet Okur. that's who <laughs> he but memeto kerr worked in the late night well the 2000s would he work now and i don't know i don't know the answer to that it's a different game um, so I'm not sure that he makes sense. The one guy that I love, which I, I've brought it before, but is Josh Um uh, I think Giddey is his ability to go in. I would put him in small four to go in, grab a rebound, and instantly initiate the break with an outlet pass. That is super intriguing to me. He's a very good rebounder. He averaged seven and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists per game. He stuffs the, the stat sheet. To me, he's like a bigger Ricky Rubio Uh, he's a guy that might be able to become something, you know, like a Joe Ingalls or, you know, there are a lot of players you can compare him to, but for me, I I just like his skill set with the Kings. Now he doesn't, he's not a great defensive player, so that's going to be an issue because the Kings are, you know, historically bad on that end of the court. But if you're going to take the ball out of the basket all the time and, you know, have De'Aaron Fox, you know, sprinting, but from the backcourt. That's one thing, but if you could have somebody, even like a Kevin Love type guy who grabs a rebound and instantly hits Halliburton and Fox at half court running down the court, now we have a speed team that, you know, makes sense. So I, I don't know if I answered that, but yeah, that would be the only other guy i mm-hmm. I totally pencil in. Like Kai Jones is too raw. There there are plenty of guys there at number nine that, that make sense for certain teams. Even like a Keon Johnson would make sense for certain teams, but with the Kings... And their personnel and what they hope to do next season, I think it's a little different.
0: Gotcha. And uh, you you have to uh, cover the Warriors every so often with NBC. Um, How are or do you think that there's a possibility? Because I've been looking, uh, the more and more I think about it, I feel like the Warriors are real threat to take somebody that the Kings really want, whether it be Wagner or Moody um, or even Josh Giddy. I've I've, I've uh, I feel like that's a spot where um, we can maybe be surprised and, and uh, have somebody fall off the board um, that we didn't expect. Are you uh, what are you hearing about what the Warriors are thinking about doing with seven and also uh, they have 14?
1: Yeah. So I think the Warriors are an interesting team because they're kind of in. It's really strange. They're in. A similar position to the Kings, they're only they're in the position for a completely different reason, right? They're a team that's trying to get back to where they were. Um and and so they really need either mature prospects that can fill a role right now, or they need to trade out and and trade for veteran players. You know, again, they have Weissman, they have the seven and the fourteen, which in a normal draft, could that would get you up to number two at least, um, you know? but not in this draft because the top four, top five players are just incredible, uh, even in the top six. And then the Warriors also have the issue that if you wait around at number seven, it's possible that a player like Jonathan Kaminga drops to you, right? Because th- there are players who are moving up in the draft, um, some of it's need base. Some of it's, you know, like a Davion Mitchell could go all the way up number six. Um, he could go number seven. But either way, I, at first, I thought, well, these two teams have such similar ideas of what they need because you have no idea what Clay Thompson is coming back. Like, I don't care what they say or the way that they're acting like they're just going to be right back in the championship run because Clay Thompson's coming back. I mean, do they miss the fact that he just lost two full seasons, one with an ACL and one with an Achilles injury. So can he even play this shooting guard position anymore? That's a huge question, right? Like, is he going to be a small forward moving forward because of all the injuries? So if I'm the Warriors, like, I don't think I'm really looking at wings at at threes as much as I'm probably looking at a two and sliding him over. Uh, Then what do you do with Wiggins? Is he now going to be your four and Draymond's going to be your five? Like, there are a lot of things that they have to figure out, right? Um, but I think the one good thing is what I am hearing is they, they really do like Josh, uh, uh, James Booknight, And to me, that's music to the King's ears, any team above the Kings that wants to take a guard pushes somebody else down to the Kings. So is there a chance that Kaminga falls to nine? Heck yeah, there is. There's totally a chance. I mean, if you get to, if if somehow he gets past number six, if, if somehow Sengun goes number six, and, and then the Warriors are number seven, they take Booknight, and then at number eight, you know, you got Keon Johnson, or or you know, uh, Orlando falls in love with, with Davion Mitchell. You know, there's a possibility that Caminga is so... Like, if I'm the Kings, I'm like, where do I want to be? Do do I want to pull off a trade? Or do I want to wait until, the last, until I'm on the clock and I want to see who's going to be there at nine? Because that's a big difference. There's a huge difference between drafting a, a potential star level player that just is is raw and needs time versus drafting a guy who's a role player who you can kind of fit in and you know what he's gonna be, like that's a franchise altering decision because if Kaminga becomes a two way star and you get him in nine, then you just won you won the draft. You know, if you're the king. So I there's like there's a lot of craziness going on, but the Warriors are are a pivotal point for the Kings two picks later. Um, and, and then at 14, you know, I love their options at 14, too, because, again, you can draft, like, Clay 2.0 and, and Corey Kispert. I mean, similar build, similar shooting ability. Um, you know, maybe he's not going to be as good as Clay, but, you know, again, coming out of college, uh, Clay was kind of in that same exact mold. Maybe Josh Giddy falls to 14, Um, uh, what's his name? Chris Duarte, like people are falling in love with him. He's like a Dylan Brooks clone that they just made up there at the university of Oregon. Um, you know, so, so there are a lot of players at that 14 spot. I think the warriors are, they're probably the most difficult position because you've got Weissman that you could build around and you could really build around seven and 14 as well. But what does that mean? Are you going to waste years of Draymond and Steph and Clay, and you're running out of those years? And so they're in a tough spot where the Kings are trying to climb up the mountain. They're they've slid down a hill and trying to climb back to the top. And I don't know whose position I'd. Well, I know whose position I'd rather be in. I'd rather be in the, the position who has an MVP sitting there hoisting threes from like 80 feet and hitting everything. Um, so yeah, it complex, right? Very. Yeah, speaking of uh, complex, uh, the Kings,
2: you know, the, the pick, all signs are pointing to at the moment, like we talked about. There's no trades that have happened yet, but right now they own the ninth pick. James, if you're Monty McNair, and let's say the Warriors do take Book Night, let's say Josh Giddy, Moses Moody, and Franz Wagner are all available, who's your pick at number nine?
1: I mean, I take Moody. Uh, like, I, I love Giddy, but. I know that the Kings need Moody, so if you can't find a way to trade, you know, then I, I draft Moody and I bring back Mo Harkless on a on a decent smaller deal, and and I let him work with him for a couple of years, and you know, I think you have like a Mikhail Bridges type player there. Uh, whether he reaches that height, we don't know, but uh, probably a better scorer coming into the league than Bridges. Um, yeah, so I think I would take Moody. Again, Wagner is intriguing. His defensive acumen would help the Kings. His ability to play the three-four would help the Kings. Um, all of those things, but I just there are some limitations to him that I I don't love, um, and I just think the limitations are a little bit less with Moody. Um, either way, I think you're going to get a pretty solid player.
2: Yeah, Chris. It's funny. Chris had that same comparison regarding Moody. He he definitely called them Mikkel Bridges, and uh, that's a guy the Kings definitely could use. Yeah.
0: I mean, it, it's an easy comp. They're both. They have ridiculous wingspans. They both are, like James said. I, I think Moody will probably end up being thirty-eight, forty percent three-point shooter three and three-and-D guys. That yeah, they fit very, very well together. And, and the I fact the that other- Moody can shoot with that wingspan is.
1: Yeah, and I think the other comparison, too, that I've made is Contavius uh, Caldwell Pope. Like, mm-hmm. they are like, he's a little bit bigger than Pope,
0: mm-hmm. so,
1: uh, and Caldwell Pope, so he can actually slide and play the three, um, but not much. I mean, without shoes, he's like six, four and a half without shoes, so it's mm-hmm. not like he's huge. But again, the difference between him and Buddy Heald, you're talking about two inches in height, but. Um, but something like buddy is 64 with shoes but has a 69 wingspan which a plus 5 is is solid um but you just don't come across those dudes that have you know 66 six, so a plus 7 wingspan um and who has the motor and acumen on the defensive end already he might not be a lockdown defender but he's a solid solid defender that could become a much better defender at the next level mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh I totally agree with that. And speaking of 3 and D, that has kind of been in the King's radar lately. Uh there's been a little bit of a of Kyle Kuzma buddy healed talk that's taken over the King's Twitterverse and uh we just kind of were wondering, number 1, is that a deal that's is it smoke screen or is it legitimate and also does that move work for both teams? Um
1: okay, so like it's a move to – uh that sets up another move right so Mm. to be honest with you i I do really like uh like buddy and kyle kuzma like it is buddy a better player um probably uh you know but I, i do like what kuzma brings to the table um and if i'm making that deal it really rebalances the roster for sacramento so I think it's I do not believe that it's smoke screen. I do believe that that is a deal that could happen. Um and it would look something like uh buddy straight up for Contavious Caldwell-Pope uh you know Kyle Kuzma and the number 22 pick. And um you it's a little bit complicated cuz Kuzma is a poison pill player cuz he's in the first year of a of an extension so he has a three-year, forty-million-dollar contract, which means again he makes thirteen million dollars a year. It's a really nice budget contract for a long, athletic, you know, three-four combo. That, in the right situation, which he was with Luke Walton a couple of years ago, he averaged like eighteen point nine points per game. Like he's actually got skill. I just think he's been totally misused there. And I, I think also when you when you're a young player and you go to the Lakers there's such a spotlight on you. And I think the bright lights of LA have done, uh, haven't been exactly kind to him. Like, I don't know that that situation has number one, it, like he's been, he's been like the guy who gets focused on that's making mistakes. But also I think he's a guy that like, let that situation get to his head a little bit and he's lived the LA lifestyle. And mm-hmm. so I think you get him into a situation where everyone around him is around his age that he fits a hole he's going to be asked to do more uh he's going to have a little bit more um sort of opportunity to create for himself um and, and and it's just and the flow of the game will fit his speed, his quickness, his length better. Uh and then again with Cantavius Caldwell-Pope like if you can bring in a player like that like there we could sit here and argue whether he's a better player than Buddy Hill by himself like the way he plays defense the way he's gritty and locks people down and has that veteran mentality he's still young he's got he, what he's owed 14 million or 13 million this year 14 million next year with a 4.9 million dollar uh guarantee so you can walk away from him next season if you want to and let him go hit free agency um i just think that that deal adds to really solid rotational pieces and gives you likely the number 22 pick and it rebalances your roster. Uh, the one downfall is if you do that deal between Contavious Caldwell Pope and like, like they make basically $26 million this year, buddy makes 23. So you lose $3 million in cap space. Uh, you take on the number 22, which is again around 2 million bucks so you're saving the Lakers roughly five million dollars this season, um, but that five million bucks will come back and hurt you because it, it's just even less money that you can offer to uh, Rashawn Holmes. So if you're going to make that deal, does it cost you Holmes? And that's always that's where I mean, like it's it's a deal that sets up another deal. If you make that deal, clearly you now have a, a power forward. Um, you can switch him and Harrison Barnes and they, you can choose who they're, who's a three and who's a four. It doesn't really matter. They're switchable. Um, but it sets up a situation where now you can do something with Marvin Bagley and move off of that $11 million. And hopefully that would create the type of cap space that you could go out and sign homes. So in a perfect world, I think you would have that deal in place, but not done because Lakers can't trade their pick anyways, right? The number 20, Mm -hmm. they cannot trade the number 22 pick because of the stepping rule. They've already traded so many of their picks out in front of this, but once you draft a player, you can trade the player, not the pick. So there's going to be a gap here where even if the Kings make that trade, chances are the trade would not go through until August sometime, and in the meantime, you would be able to make other moves with guys like Marvin, clear up cap space, and then when you take on that extra five million bucks in, in salary, it would be at a point where uh you've already made your other moves, your other substantial moves to bolster your roster. And so so anyway, I like it it's again, these things they aren't just as simple as this player, this player. I mean it there's a lot of complexities to salary cap and like the ripple effect that you would have on a team when you do make a, a move to rebalance a roster like that.
0: Yeah. Do you foresee the Kings having any, I mean, not necessarily because they still have a full offseason to address the issue, but if they were to move on from Buddy Heald, um, that to me creates a a very large gap in the shooting department. I don't know if the Kings would even have 12 three-point attempts uh, per game if if Buddy weren't playing Um do you think that they maybe look for a shooter in replay? I mean, that the, uh, KCP kind of role or um, something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to move off Buddy Healed, you are going to have to make sure that you're bolstering your shooting. Now, again, how do you do that? I think the key with the Kings specifically is um, Kuzma is actually a. He can actually He'll put him up if you want him to. <laughs> yeah, he will. And I mean, he, he's shot, yeah. he's had seasons where he shot well, I think even last year what he shoot like thirty six percent. That's fine. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not bad, especially if he's in the corner and he shoot he's probably gonna shoot a higher percentage in the corner. Uh the king's offensive style would be slightly different. Um, but again, you Cantavius called Will Pope would bring shooting. Um, I, I think that we all look at Tyrese Halliburton and we understand that he has plenty more that he can offer. So he averaged, you know what close to 13 points a game this last season, but there's potential for him to go well above that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that is kind of what I would look at. Like you're going to get the extra three point attempts. You're just going to have to get them from, uh, from four players or three players, as opposed to one guy averaging 10, three point attempts (laughs) a game. Um, And like, uh, like, Buddy became, this last season, he became more of a three-point specialist, just mm-hmm. shooting the three ball. Like, his usage went down. Um, you know, a lot of his his stats kind of say, okay, he finally figured out that this is who he should be. But the fact is, he still doesn't get to the free throw line. You know, he still doesn't do some of the things that uh, that you would hope he would do. He, he can't even draw a foul on a three-point shot. You know, everyone's flying over the top and, and getting a hand on top of him all he has to do do is take a half step back in, in his shooting motion and he'll draw, you know, a foul every, every game, every second game. And then teams would stop doing that. But Mm -hmm. if he can't make an adjustment on the fly, then, you know, teams are going to keep doing what they're doing. And that that's on him. So, uh, so again, like, I think you can get, let's say Tyrese Halliburton gets an extra two, three point attempts per game. And, so that means he's going to average an extra three-something, you know, three points per game, basically. Uh, but go around the horn. Kuzma can give you more than what you had from uh, a guy like, you know, Mo, Mo Harkless last year who really struggled with this three-point shot after he came on board. Um, if you do draft a guy like Moses Moody, you're going to get more from that. If Or if you do Franz Wagner, you're going to get, a you know, four four or five threes a game from all of these players that you would be filling in spots. So I just think it would be... More of a dispersed, you know, three-point attempts as opposed to one guy having to carry the load. Nothing wrong with that either.
0: Nothing yeah. wrong with sharing the wealth. No, especially I mean, coming off.
2: Yeah. No, especially coming. Sorry, Chris, is coming off a year where Buddy was a little more streaky than he has been in past years. I mean, he mm-hmm. he shot thirty-nine percent from the three-point line. Of, that that's great, but for Buddy standards, it's not really because that's the lowest mark he had in in three seasons. So, um, it just it isn't really the right system for Buddy. In in my opinion, I think going to the Lakers where he's just going to literally be on the perimeter, letting LeBron and AD work, and they'll be able to feed him, that has to be an enticing possibility for the Lakers, whereas the Kings, they need wings. And Harrison Barnes, he's 29. He's two years left on his deal. We know the team could possibly even move him this offseason if the right deal presents itself. So like you said, Tyrese Halliburton is a very, very pleasable option right there because he is a guy who can do more than just shoot the ball. So yeah. I I definitely can see that, that deal working out for both sides. And um, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is where another need the Kings need to address is, is the forward center spot. Uh, Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley is a guy that seems like he's been the talk of, of Sacramento for, well, not just this off season, but the past two, three years. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski just said this week that he sees a new home on the horizon. I'm assuming he's not talking about real estate. I'm assuming he's talking about a team. So Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering with you, James might be kind of a dumb question, but do you see the Kings moving Marvin Bagley this off season?
1: I mean, like, look, I I thought that they were going to move him for sure. uh, Coming out of, you know, the injury really kind of like set the stage for my opinion on it. And I was very open about it. Like, look, I don't think Marvin Bagley will be back again this season, but I'll say this. At this point, Rashawn Holmes isn't under contract. And for that matter, if you need to clear out some cap space to to make a bigger play for Rashawn Holmes, um, you know, you have Chimezi Metu and, and Damian Jones, right, under contract, but they're non-guaranteed contracts that they can be waived, and then you can come back and re-sign them afterwards. But realistically, they're players that you technically can waive, right? Uh, so, because... Number one, they haven't solidified themselves their place in the league, and and number two, they're they're sort of low uh, low level contracts, so that means that as of right now, like the Kings have Marvin Bagley as as their only power forward center option, that's all they have. So we can talk about the potential for them to do this or that, but at the end of the day, until they're able to either sign Rashawn Holmes or they're able to get somebody via trade. You know, they just they didn't get in on the like the stephen Adams sweepstakes. Um and I think that deal in itself, that really kind of that took a big time option off the table for the Kings where, you know, you could have gone out and for a budget and maybe even got picks back like what Memphis did, you could have gone out and got a player like that um and filled the hole that Rashawn Holmes would would leave if he does, you know, sign somewhere else in free agency. So I think the Bagley situation, it's slightly tenuous because you have to replace, you have to have somebody. Like, you can't just assume that you're going to be able to go out and and sign three players that make sense for you at that position. I mean, like, I can't imagine Hassan Whiteside coming back to the team. Um, You know, so, like, what else are you going to do at that position? So you have to do a little bit of wait and see on that. But, like, again, I was discussing this earlier – uh on the radio when you look at the way that the Kings added at the at the the break, you know, they, they brought in a guy like DeLon Wright, adding that six million dollars in salary for this year. So Delon makes eight point five, Corey Joseph made like twelve point five million, but Corey Joseph had a two point five million dollar buyout. So you could have just walked away from his contract. So there's a six million dollar addition there that you threw on your salary cap in Delon Wright. Well, that hurts the King's chances to re-sign Rashawn Holmes. But I also know that Monty's a smart guy and that he clearly has gone out and had conversations with Rashawn Holmes' agent beforehand. He knew what they were going to be looking for this summer. So they didn't trade him, and they didn't trade him with as much knowledge as anybody could have about his situation. So they knew their own cap space situation they knew players that they could move on whether it's again Delon they could trade Delon and clear up 8.5 million they could trade a Marvin Bagley and clear up 11.3 million so you have these other options right but like Monty had an entire list of ways that he could bring Holmes back and if he didn't that would be crazy like if you don't have a way to bring him back so Mar- Marvin is, is typically he's the easiest way to do it because he's the largest salary cap spot that you could clear out. And I think you can actually get something for him. Um, but, you know, again, like all of these moves, we talk about, you know, people want to bag on Marvin, say, you know, he's, he's a bust. He's not a bust. He's a player who's been injured. But then on top of that, I mean, Marvin still averaged like 14 points and seven and a half rebounds a game last year. It's not like he gave you nothing. It, was he good on the defensive end? No, he can get a lot better, you hope. Um, but at the same time, like you have to be able to replace all of these things. We can't just say, hey, how do you replace a three-point shooting if Buddy Heald's gone? Like, Well, Marvin is one of the few post options you have. He's the only rim runner on the roster that you really have right now. So how are you going to replace that if you just give him away for a bag of peanuts? And if you don't already have the replacement in place, then it's going to be really hard to do. Now, again, if you have Kyle Kuzma and you know that that deal's done and it's just going to take until August to do it, now you can start moving pieces around and it makes a lot of sense.
0: Are you hearing anything on the Rashawn Holmes front um, or do you know if the Kings are are feeling confident in, that, in their chances of resigning him or are they just kind of, I don't want to say playing it out and seeing what the situation holds, but essentially, I mean, yeah, we'll wait and see what, what the offers are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think they love Holmes. Like I I know they
0: love Holmes. I've had conversations they love Holmes.
1: They would love to have him back, but I don't think like, again, his agent wants four years and 80 million bucks. Like it only takes one team to get that done, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and you don't know if that team is out there or not. But again, we go back to the whole house thing, right? Like you think you have a $5 million house. If someone will only offer you 2 million, I hate to tell you, you have a $2 million house. Like, it is what it is right so like we have this this issue that Holmes wants to be paid 20 million bucks a year I don't think like realistically that that's outlandish for his value to a team and I'm not saying that like he doesn't have value I think he does but like I was looking ESPN ranked their top 20 free agents and they had three or four centers on the list and Rashawn Holmes wasn't one of them You know, they they had Jared Allen on the list. They had, uh, you know, these other, you know, Andre Drummond. I don't even know if made the list. But there are other centers that are available this offseason. And you have to see if, you know, what the market's going to hold for him before you make any rash move. What you can't do is you can't trade Buddy Heald, a $22 million player, and pay another guy $20 million and also give away Marvin Bagley, and now next thing you know, you have even less pieces to the puzzle and you're a 35 win team and you're over the cap. And that that's just it's not the way the game works. You can't have I mean, the reason why the Kings are in the situation they're in right now, they're a you know, I think if you work the numbers out, I, they're a 33 or 36 win team. Like if they played a full 82 and, you know, you don't that that's not a team that should have. Like, a $28 million player, a $22 million player, and a 20 like 1 million player. That, you just, you're not there. You know, it's the same reason why they didn't bring Bogdanovich back. Like, how good can we be if we bring him back? Uh, and now we're even worse off cap space-wise. And then, I mean, if you were to sign, uh, if you would have matched on Bogdanovich, you fully would have given up any hope of retaining Rashawn Holmes at that point. Um, so... Yeah, it, it's complicated, right? Like, we, we keep mm-hmm. saying this, but, like, everyone wants instant gratification. Everyone wants the playoffs. Well, it's going to take a lot of work to get to playoffs. Like, it's going to take a lot of work to add the pieces to get there, and it can't just be, a hey, look, you know, we made a trade, and or we you can't just walk in and say we drafted number nine and we bring back the same roster. You do that, you might win... 35 games you might win like if you're lucky you have to do something more dramatic in order to change this the the path of this team and so uh, you know they're going to have to be active
0: definitely and that brings us to our last question which is uh the last question we like to ask all of our guests this off season um we've been asking everyone jason Ross, bryant west last week brendan Nunez. Uh what is your one off-season your bold off-season prediction? You've said, you know, the Kings will look to to potentially add a lot of uh talent to the roster. That could definitely be someone. Um I don't, don't want to answer for you, but but what's your what's your one uh big off-season prediction?
1: I mean, I, my big off-season prediction is that we're going to see like a I mean, if we look at their their rotation from last year, I, I don't even know how many players they ha- they have that are actually, you know, realistic rotational players. Like you you guys have known, I talked to you guys about this. Like they walk into the last season with DeQuan Jeffries, Justin James, uh, Jemias Ramsey, Robert Woodard as four players who are undrafted or second round picks in the last two drafts as part of their 15 man roster. So. We're all the way down to 11 players. And then let's throw in Jabari Parker. Now we're down to 10 players who are, are, you know, maybe rotational players. Of those, one is Assam Whiteside, which doesn't fit this team at all. <laughs> and one is Nemanja Bialica, who was pissed and didn't want to be there um, because he lost his starting job. And so now we're down to eight. Oh, and, uh, and of the eight, one of them is Cyrus Halliburton, who we have no idea who he is walking into the season. So now we're down to seven. And then one of those is Corey Joseph, which, again, I love Corey. He's a great dude, uh, and he looked great in, in Detroit, yeah. but didn't fit the style of play. So now we're down to six players walking into the season that you are comfortable with, right? Well, you can't do that again.
0: You, also, you one just, of those is Marvin Bagley, who, say what well, you will, but you just can't rely on.
1: You can't rely on because you're right. He played 13 games a season before. like so. So again— Like, how many players did Luke Walton have? And that's where I always, like, people want to harp on Luke, and it's like, okay, man, do you get that, first of all, his first season, 72-game season because of COVID, Marvin Bagley breaks his thumb in the first game of the season, in the last three minutes, he gets karate shot by Kelly Oubre. Down 30. Yeah, misses 22 games or whatever it was. Then De'Aaron Fox, right before game 10, rolls his ankle and – I mean, a grade three sprain and somehow comes back in 17 games or whatever it was. Um, so basically, you had all of that happen. You're right back in it. You're you're right in it. You you have the easiest schedule. You're up against a team that has the worst schedule. You have every opportunity to track them down. You play them a couple of times. You know, all of these things are leading to a potential for you to snap your your at that point. What is it? 14 year playoff streak. Uh, or 13-year playoff streak, and then a global pandemic hits, four of your players get COVID, you know, like, leading up to the bubble. Like, that team is shot. They get to the bubble, they lose their first game, and it's over, right? So, like, I can't judge a coach on a season where, again, you lose your starting point guard and your starting power forward, and you replace two of the fastest – Well the fastest point guard and one of the fastest power forwards in the league with the slowest point guard and the slowest power forward in the league and then expect you to still run an up-tempo style. That that doesn't work, right? Like, so there are so many things that were stacked up against Luke um, in that first year. And then I don't even think you can, you look at this last year, we just talked about it there, down to like maybe five rotational players, six rotational players. So I think the bold move that I, I would say, like, again, to get back to your question is you have to be 10 deep, 11 deep, 12 deep. And like you can have Jamias Ramsey and Robert Woodard on your roster. That's fine. But what you can't do is expect anything from those guys other than some G League action, maybe some point in the season where they start to see some time. But, I mean, we're already looking at Damian Jones, Chimezi Metu, and then those two players, and then your rookie that you draft. So we're already down to 10. And so, like, I need rotational players. I need guys that are strong-willed, that can punch somebody in the face, that aren't going to get blown away. Uh, that you know have versatility. And and I think as of right now, you know, I think the four in the back are strong um, with Halliburton, Fox, Terrence Jones, uh, I and mean, Terrence Davis, and uh, and DeLon Wright. I think, of course, I you know Harrison Barnes is a player um, now. I, if you can't bring Rashawn Holmes, what are you going to do there? Like, You have got to bolster the main core of this team that is going to play minutes night in and night out. We already know that Walton likes to rely on veterans, um, and then we say that. And he also played a, a fourth-year point guard while well, coming into the season, You know, three years experience, of, but a fourth-year point guard, uh, 34 minutes a game. He played Tyrese Halliburton, a rookie, 30 minutes a game, including fourth-quarter minutes. Like it's not like he didn't play young players. Even Marvin Bagley played 26 minutes a night when he was healthy. So, like we have to, you have to give him the tools to succeed. And so I think Monty will give him the tools to succeed. Uh, and that would be my bold prediction. Like uh, the Kuzma, KCP swap for Buddy Hield, that makes sense to me because I'm getting a player that fits my system better in Kuzma, and I'm getting a player who is tough and rugged and can play 30 minutes a night in KCP, that is better than... uh, KCP is better than almost any bench player the Kings had walking into last season. He might even be better than any bench player they had walking into last season. And you have to do more of that. I need a Mo Harkless back. I I need a Rashawn Holmes back, but I also need an Alex Len backing him up or someone backing him up, even if it's Damian Jones. I need... Two deep at every position, three deep at some positions. I need depth. And if you do the same thing that we saw last season, number one, Luke won't survive the season. And what does that mean for Monty? Because are you going to let that guy hire his own new coach without knowing if he's going to be there long term? You know, we keep going through the same exact cycle, right? At some point, you have to like land on a group of people to run your team to run the basketball side, to run the business side, you have to land on a group of people. You have to empower them. You have to give them enough time to succeed. And so they also have to show they can do that. Uh, But at the same time, you know, you have to give Walton enough options that he can look at his bench and say, I've got something different over here. I'm going to throw at you. And again, like Terrence Davis, he's something different. King's had Terrence Davis and DeLon Wright start the season. It, they had Mo Harkless and the, it, all three of those guys to start the season. That team wins five more games. If they would have signed Bogdanovich, they win four or five more games. You just didn't have the depth at all, and you can't do DiVincenzo that. Divincenzo
2: too. The Divincenzo thing could have been nice too. Just I mean, throwing a player yeah, like that, and yeah. again, role players, just role players, like you said.
1: Yeah, yeah, role players, but role players. I mean, if if you aren't in love with the idea of Dante Divincenzo and. Tyrese Halliburton as your second team last season. Like, God. I mean, I don't even know what to say to you. Like, that, <laughs> that's that's nice, right? But again, that even that, like, you needed more. You gave yeah. up your starting shooting guard. You got nothing in return. You had to replace that, and you didn't. And so, they did with Halliburton, but again, that's like, we had no idea. No one had any idea that Halliburton could be that good. And So you you can't just walk and say, well, you know, they they replaced him with Halliburton. Well, hindsight, yeah, but coming into the season, that team might have had five or six players, and that's just, that's not conducive to winning, and I, you know, again, I don't think they intended on winning, I think they intended on being in the top five of this incredible draft, and they didn't get there, they got caught in the middle like they do most seasons. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I would expect something bold like that, and that might not seem bold, but like, give me, even if we go back, if they walked into the season with Bogdanovich, uh, Alex Lynn, Kent Bazemore, who they let go, all three let go in free agency, that team wins. That team is, is likely in the play-in, at least. Like, they might even be, like, the eight seed going in, maybe the seventh seed. Like, it was wide open. There, There's all kinds of things that could have happened. Um, but they didn't. And so now we're in a situation where it's like, look, you got to figure it out. You got to figure out how to do it this year. And it's, you can't miss again and again. So. I,
0: I know I said le- last question, but you brought him up and I don't think we've talked about him at all. And he actually has, I, to me, he's, he's a surprise or, or a sneaky um, value, you know, trade candidate for the Kings is, is Harrison Barnes. He has a whole lot of value. Obviously uh there was a lot of talk that the Kings might've moved him at the deadline. They chose not to, Um I would hope that that decision means that they plan on keeping him uh, for this foreseeable future, because I think they definitely could have gotten a good package for him. Uh, What are you, are you you hearing Harrison Barnes is probably going to stay? Is it going to kind of be the same kind of situation it was last year where if there is the right deal for him, they'll probably move him. Do they see him as part of the future? What do you, uh, what are you feeling about Harrison?
1: Yeah. I mean, look uh what I heard last season from the, from within the walls was look like if we give up Harrison Barnes, that's, that means that we're taking a step back like next season, the season after, like unless you're getting value for Harrison Barnes and whatever it was, the Boston Celtics thought they could offer for Harrison Barnes. It was, it was a joke. I mean, that, that wasn't anything you're looking at like, bad draft picks you're and once a player is drafted um you know th- they have some intriguing pieces on their bench that are super young but like once a player is drafted they're no longer the number 14 pick in the draft they're now a young player trying to make it in the league so like there was no package that really made sense to me especially from boston last year um but when it comes to harrison like look you know we we've heard all about the ben simmons like potential trade right like everyone oh are the kings going to trade for ben simmons right well in order to trade for ben simmons like the first thing the kings offered was a package including buddy healed right and of course the 76ers countered back with a hey, we want De'Aaron fox and like click the the kings hung up the phone like i mean we can argue this all day but like in my opinion like the player arc of De'Aaron fox is going like this. And the player arc of Ben Simmons went like this and then his plateaued or gone down. And then he melted down in the playoffs. Your coach called him out. Your star big man called him out. Your veteran and Danny green literally backed over him with the bus. And then we have reports now that he won't even communicate with you. So, so the reason why I bring up Ben Simmons in this conversation is look, if you're going to offer buddy Hield and Marvin Bagley, to the Philadelphia 76ers with whatever package of first round picks and number nine, two years from now, first round pick, you know, even if you went three first round picks, um, Dave Yeager is the lead assistant on Doc Rivers bench. Do you think he's going to say, Hey, wait, I coached Marvin Bagley and buddy healed. You you think he's going to be okay with those two as like part of the package? And or, or are they just going to ignore him and, like, just make the deal to make the de- That's not going to happen. You – when you're making – I mean, that's a, a player with $150 million. Dollars. Yeah, it's yeah. $150 million left on his contract, Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. You're going to collect every bit of data on the, inf- on the players you're bringing in possible. So, to get back to Harrison Barnes, if – the deal was Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley and a couple of picks, or mm-hmm. the deal was Harrison Barnes and DeLon Wright, a starting point guard or, or really close to it, and a bunch of draft picks. That's much different than a buddy-heeled Marvin Bagley. Mm-hmm. You know, one deal is sort of you, like, moving off of a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but I'll also say this, like, look, you could make a deal like that if Philadelphia bites and you give up all your picks, Right. And you give up Harrison Barnes and you give up uh Delon Wright, then you bring in Ben Simmons, and now your core is Ben Simmons and uh and Tyrese and, and uh and De'Aaron. Now I take Buddy Heald and I go do the Kuzma deal. Now my team starts to look a lot different. Now, how do I get to a point where I can retain Rashawn Holmes? How do I get another backup point uh backup center? I don't need the backup point guard because now I have Fox Halliburton who can both run the point, but I also have Ben Simmons who I can shift over and run the point. Um, I got Terrence Davis under contract because he's, he can't really do anything. Uh, He can't escape the contract. So while you're giving up, you know, sort of the players that we talked about, you're giving up Barnes and you're giving up, uh, you know, even in that deal, we haven't even, we hadn't even included Bagley. So you still, maybe you have Bagley, maybe Bagley works on a three man front line, with Simmons and Kuzma and, and and Bagley maybe maybe you have Kentavius Caldwell-Pope starting at the small forward like again you have like options there you've reconfigured your your lineup on the fly you've got pieces that maybe fit better um, and you drastically changed the like trajectory of your team you dropped your big salary guys down to, you know, solid salary guys or Ben Simmons way up here salary, but Ben Simmons isn't even 25 yet. So now I've dropped my player age, or maybe he just turned 25. I've dropped my player age down more appropriate to Fox Halliburton, and now I got a young core that I can work with, right? So so I think, again, there are a lot of things that can happen here, but a lot of things need to happen or this team is gonna miss the playoffs for a 16 consecutive season, and then... You know, do we get one year? Do we get two years? Do we get three years down the road? When does Aaron Fox start going, hey, look, like I gave you guys a long look here, but you just haven't been able to de- deliver the roster. So like at what point does that happen? And so you need to avoid that by building the right team, building a team that he can play with that makes sense for everybody. And so, again, I think there are a lot of, a lot of moving pieces here, and it's going to be an exciting couple of weeks or it could not be. And if it's not, then – and I think that that would be a shock. I think they are trying to do dramatic things here, mm. uh, and you just have to like try to play it all out in your head at one time and see what angles work and what don't, and how do you get to a point where, okay, like we got something here. This makes sense.
0: All right. Well, that's all I got,
2: Frank. You got, you got no. Anything? I mean, I, like you said, James, it, it all starts Thursday. Then the next week we could be sitting there at the California Classic, and some of these things can come to fruition. So it's uh it's gonna be a pretty <laughs> exciting or unexciting time and uh it all it all starts thursday so james thank you so much for coming on man and we we have appreciated learning from you for the past season learning from you today and hopefully can continue to learn from you uh with a side of apple cider and some cookies starting next <laughs> week at the golden one center there
1: we go well thanks for having me guys and uh anytime you need me just give me a shout and sorry if i went long
0: you know, oh no! Absolutely, it's kind of
1: the way it goes with me sometimes when I start riffing.
2: No, that's why we had you on, man. We Shit. we it's 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 for for Kings fans and for us. You you, you are great at uh, conveying things, and um, you know some of those things I did, like the poison pill provision. Some things I, I know that not everyone really really gets. And hey, it's it's the Kings, man.
0: Man, and you you've got answers to them all, so I appreciate it. it's
2: it's the Kings. It's complicated stuff. It's not a it's not easy. We, it's complicated stuff with the Kings, so uh, let's hope Thursday goes well.
0: Let's hope. So thank you very much, James, for joining us. We will absolutely have you on again. Um, we'll try not to overuse you, so you're not just our third host, but uh, no promises. Uh, for <laughs> James Ham, Frankie Cardiselli, I am Chris Watkins. Thank you all for listening, and uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye-bye.